Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a podcast person, and I'm here to talk about Dan's choice for this week, It's the Vagrant. Now, we're going back to reviewing Blu-rays after a long period of covering stuff on the Arrow streaming service as we have both had big deliveries of stuff from Arrow, which is very, very exciting. Dan, this was one that I requested uh, from Arrow, but it was the first thing that you pulled from the pile. Why? I was, I mean, I was looking forward to it. It's directed by a special effects artist. It, it has like slightly kitschy 80s genre stuff written all over it. I'd never seen it. And I quite like the ones where I, had you seen it before? No, I hadn't actually seen it no, when I requested yeah, it. That's I just it. knew it starred Bill Paxton and Michael Ironside. And that's basically more than enough for me. I'm, I'm sure it's similar for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's it. Like, I like going on these little journeys of discovery with you. Like, you know, obviously, as much as we like to give the impression that we've seen every movie ever, I think one of the the joys about working for you know arrow or, or even just anything within the the boutique blu-ray realm is that there is so much new stuff coming out all the time and we do still get to watch new stuff all the time absolutely and so many of our own kind of favorite deep cuts uh being released on blu-ray as well like uh la residencia is out on arrow Ooh. and we're going to be covering that on I a future that episode today. yeah really really excited about that one the vagrant i found it pretty fun very very weird very very unique uh, the actors that we mentioned paxton and ironside are both fantastic fun ironside yeah. especially as i haven't really seen him do too much comedy before outside of like the dark satire of starship troopers and i felt like he was genuinely funny in this how did you feel about ironside yeah, I mean, I think once you get into the swing of the movie, because <laughs> there's, I think, with a modern eye, there's a lot that's I find like slightly uncomfortable. But I think it's playing with that, like it's 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 sort of messing around with audience preconceptions. And I think once you once you understand the tone, there's that there is that sort of campiness to it, that pantomime almost to it. And I think that both the actors knew exactly what they were in for, what they were doing, and they they do such a great job. Yeah, tonally it feels like a lost Sam Raimi movie at times to me. It has that mixture of slapstick and outright horror. But this yeah. is closer to something like Crime Wave than Evil Dead probably. Though Absolutely. Paxton does have a couple of Bruce Campbell style moments. Uh, the third act in particular, which we won't get into in in detail, is especially insane and very unpredictable. You might think that this movie is one thing, but it becomes something completely different, and that gives it extra points from me for sure. What did you think of like how it kind of shifts, obviously without getting into the ending in detail, but how did you feel about the way it manages its tone? We talk quite a lot on this podcast about enjoying films that can blindside us still after all this time, things that don't necessarily follow the traditional Hollywood narrative. And I do think that you have to dig into like counterculture, cult indie and korean <laughs> films yeah, to get definitely. those to get to get that kind of roller coaster those kind of shifts and obviously when a mainstream film is able to pull the rug up from under you it, it makes headlines all over the world like everybody loves that stuff so it always surprises me that it's so rare that you get this kind of uh, subversion of of narrative structure and i think it works in this one as well because obviously you know you can pull it out of your ass in a third act and do something that's just insane that no one's going to see uh, and i think we've talked about how 
below par Gialli often play with that, where they just go, mm. <laughs> here's a thing. And say, well, no, the, the, the satisfaction within that realm is is being able to guess, but only if you're paying attention. Like, re- like feeling like you should have got it. Whereas something that can take that huge left turn with the whole structure can be... It's, it's absurdist. It's a form of absurdist enjoyment. Yeah, and with Paxton especially, like, I find him a really interesting actor. He's very, very, very compelling very magnetic and this is kind of an interesting role for him it does key into some of the stuff that he's known for that kind of cowardly douchebag <laughs> can't think of a better way to put it but he does <laughs> yeah, tend no, to, to play those kind of characters quite a lot but this is slightly different he's got more of an inner world i think than some of his characters which can be a little bit cartoony what did you think of paxton in uh, in the vagrant yeah i mean like you can you can tell that he's an actor who can deliver a more grounded serious role throughout and obviously you know i suspect the vast majority of people watching it are very familiar with some of his more uh solid roles Mm -hmm. and i genuinely just feel like i said earlier i think it it feels like he's having fun with it like he's enjoying himself and the absurdity of a lot of what he's being asked to do yeah absolutely and obviously um i mentioned sam raimi before and Paxton had a very rich collaboration with Sam Raimi in uh, Simple Plan, but I'm definitely not comparing his performance in this to that. But <laughs> it's kind of like a bridge between the two. I don't know. I, I I think it's honestly worth watching for his performance and the way it shifts and the way it goes. Yeah, I, I, I was really excited to see a, a new Bill Paxton performance I hadn't seen before. And diving into the extras, um, Paxton obviously isn't a, a presence in those extras, uh, in person but certainly in spirit everybody talks about him everyone seems to have very warm feelings towards him and really enjoyed collaborating with him and yeah there's not a whole load of stuff on the disc there's not loads of extras they were produced by our old friend heather buckley and her colleague sophia got some great stuff out of everyone marshall bell the titular vagrant keeps a lot of cards close to his chest but he's clearly very proud of the film um but the director chris wallace is very honest and interesting lots of cool stories there but ironside is the hero here he's so charming and so charismatic and i actually have some stuff from heather buckley about michael ironside in extra features extra features extra features so stay tuned for that how did you feel about the extras yeah, I mean they're solid. It's not it's not the most overflowing disc as you said, but I think it's it's handled well by all involved. The the interviews are good, like you said the Ironside, I think it's called Barfus Homicide. Yeah. The Michael Ironside extra mm-hmm. uh is really solid. Um I do I do slightly wish uh, Paxton had been involved. I you know, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh we, yeah, we like if there was if there was archive stuff out there maybe we could have could have I would have liked to see that, but maybe it doesn't exist. Like, th- this is in not a big enough film that studios were putting together electronic press kits back in the day. That's right, exactly. So, yeah, this is about as, as loving a tribute as you're going to get to this film. And well, yeah. I guess we should be blessed that we've got anything at all for such a, a weird one. Nothing other than the interviews here. And this is a US disc. We're so sorry. So you will have to import it. But if you're into super weird stuff that deserves a bigger audience, you should definitely let this vagrant into your home. I did really, really enjoy this one. (laughs) I'm glad you pulled it from the pile, Dan. I'm sorry, maybe it didn't blow you away as much as you were hoping. We haven't spoken for a couple of months, and uh, I I got the sense there in what you were saying before that there's a little bit of a 
a political edge to how you feel about the vagrant? Do you want to go into that, or should we just move on? Uh, I mean, it's fine. Like there are bits where it feels like it's punching down a little bit. Uh, right, and, right. and maybe I yeah like that's all it is I think it's a product of its time I think overall it's a pretty solid solid picture I enjoyed it I would have enjoyed it more if I'd watched it with a crowd and a few drinks rather than on my own which is how I watched it and again without going into spoilers I do think it does subvert those punching down expectations yeah uh, no I think you're right yeah glad you pulled it from the pile and next time we will be doing flatliners which is my choice and it is available in the UK. Hooray. Let's move on to recommendations based on The Vagrant. Dan, you can go first. What are you recommending? Well, so, like, I'm tempted to just recommend The Fly 2. <laughs> because, obviously, it's Wallace's, like, star turn. But I'm not gonna. I'm gonna direct other films that I feel are tonally closer to The Vagrant. Okay. So my first one is uh, Dr. Giggles from 1992, directed by Manny Cotto. Uh, didn't do a lot else. Star Kid, a lot of TV. Starring uh, Larry Drake, who you'll recognise from Darkman, as the baddie from Darkman. Dr. Giggles is an absolute... Not unlike The Vagrant, it's got... Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if, looking it up, it had turned out to be directed by an effects artist. It's full of effects. It's got some really, like, silly, campy gore in it. It's really over the top. I was surprised by how well it had survived when I rewatched it. It's one of those ones I've got still got on Laserdisc. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, very good one. I've got a feeling this is going to be a real cheese fest of recommendations this time because I'm starting with... The Carpenter, which is a horror film from 1988, featuring the magnificent Wings Hauser as the titular Carpenter. And it has similar weird tonal shifts to The Vagrant, with Hauser unleashing his best Freddy Krueger impression as a ghostly workman sent to menace the people who own his dream home. It's exactly as bonkers as it sounds, and pairing these two movies would be a total, total blast. The Carpenter... I recommend it. What's next from you, Dan? I've never seen The Carpenter, Sam, and I'm not entirely sure, looking at it on IMDb as you speak about it, that I've even heard of it. Oh, well. It looks very terrific fun. Yeah, it really is. That's that's definitely a recommendation for you, maybe even tonight with uh, with your house guest, because uh, it's on YouTube, I believe. Oh, so fantastic. What, in that way. We have it on what VHS. What a tagline. Yeah, A young exactly. couple's dream turns into a nightmare when the carpenter goes to work. Love that it, love great. it. Dan, are you going to go for another cheesy one or are you going to go for like an existential it's, Oscar oh no, it's, winner? It's it's hella cheesy. Don't worry, my, my watch recently <laughs> are way more grounded. <laughs> um from 1996, it's Brian Usner's The Dentist, starring Corbin Burnson. Uh, the Dentist and its sequel, Dentist <laughs> 2, have a, a weird place in my heart. And I actually had a meeting with Usner a few years ago about directing some stuff with his blessing, remaking one of his properties uh, as a director, talking of special effects artists directing stuff. Uh, and it didn't really go anywhere. And one of the main reasons was that when we were having this meeting about adapting and how we would go about adapting this sort of beloved property of uh, of Brian's, he re- all he wanted to talk about was rebooting The Dentist. <laughs> and it was a very fucking weird conversation. I feel like we were in Waxy O'Connor's. It was definitely that kind of space in Soho mm-hmm. with a producer who'd sort of put us together. Um, and I was being introduced to Brian as this possible uh, like first time feature director to come in and direct this like like I couldn't fucking believe I was there like I, did, I felt like very much out of my league um, to be being put forward for this remake but uh, but there I was 
being introduced to Mr. Usner, you know, producer of Reanimator. And and then all we did was talk about how we could circumvent the copyright ownership issues of the dentist to reboot the franchise. That is incredible. (laughs) But that's not not why you should watch it. You should watch it because it's a fucking, like... Tooth, it's tooth horror. It's tooth horror. What more do you fucking want? Like teeth are one of the things that send shivers down people's spine, and this has roots being drilled out left, right, and center. I love it. And Bernson's a great baddie. Oh god, absolutely, yeah, fantastic. Finally, from me, I'm going to go for Hyder in the House from 1989. This is Gary Busey hiding in a couple's attic in a movie that features an exploding goldfish bowl. And that's all I have to say. That's all I need to say. Hyder in the house, please, Arrow, release this. And I recommend it paired with The Vagrant. Dan, Hyder in the house, any thoughts or feelings? I've, I've not seen it. It's another one that uh, that has managed to pass me by. I love a bit of Busey. Uh, I see from uh, the photographs that he's uh, he's a complete man in this one. So I'm wondering how <laughs> like crazy he is. Like modern Busey is is a, another level of unhinged. Bless him. I have sympathies for the things that have caused him to be what he is now. Mm-hmm. And this, I guess, this was what you, what you say, eighty nine. This was yeah. So yeah, so this is well before the I'm with Busey era. <laughs> Which is another tacit recommendation. For context, this was two years after Bulletproof. What the fuck is this? Your worst nightmare, butthorn. McBain, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so we are in um, Bonkers Boosie era. We're we're Um, at the beginning of Bonkers Boosie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. But not quite the... Yeah, not quite the, the stage where he, you know, releases a book featuring... (laughs) <laughs> acronyms such as FART, which obviously stands for feeling erectile transmission. And you may well feel erectile transmission when watching Hydra in the House because it is very, very exciting. So, um, yes, I recommend it. And let's move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Uh, Dan, I just went last in based on the movie. So why don't you go first in based on the past couple of weeks? And this is recommendations for you based on the past couple of months. So before actually we go into your recommendations, um, how have you been? What have you been up to? What have you been working on? Hello. Uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've been good. I've been good. We've been we've been finalising the move into the new studio. I've done some stuff for Jim Hoskins. I've done some stuff for Ty Shani. I've done some stuff for Jennifer Handolf, who's been doing some directing, which I'm very excited to support. My car exploded. What else? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, it was a very minor explosion. It just it basically just stopped working, but it was it was fun, and it couldn't have happened at a better time when things were a little bit quiet. Yeah, we're doing some really fun R and D for projects I can't discuss, uh, but I'm hoping to revolutionise the way people get shot to death on film. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that should Finally. be fun. We're going to be doing some we're going to be doing some very bloody tests in the car park over the next couple of days. So I hope my new neighbours are excited to watch me, a bald 40-year-old man, 40-plus-year-old man, get shot to death in a car park in the uh, the interests of art. What the precious arrowheads don't know is that your groundbreaking technique is to use real bullets. So I look forward to the level of realism on screen, unlike anything I've ever seen before. That is right, isn't it? I was... Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to let them shoot me. I'm just going to suffer for your art. 
when I was, I, I got a an Uber to the place I was collecting my new car from because I, not new, new to me, not new, new. I'm not the Prince of France. So I got a new secondhand car and I got driven to go and collect it by a driver. And we were, you know, I was chatting to my Uber driver and I suddenly realized that I was doing that thing that all us film fans sometimes do, which is just monologuing so fucking hard <laughs> about film. Uh, and I realized it when I was telling him that story about Henry Silver being shot at with real bullets <laughs> in that Poliziotesky film. I was telling him this story and I'm like, this guy doesn't know what Poliziotesky are. I'd better tell him at length. And then I, I just proceeded to double down into the info dump. But I did, I think I might have sold him the Shaw Brothers box sets. So, you know, oh, that's good. all in a day's work, I guess. And then you got in through the front door, checked your Uber rating and it had halved. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think they do fractions. <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, so let's, uh, now we've had our catch up with, with the precious arrowheads. Uh, they know what I've been doing because I've been <laughs> doing episodes and stuff. Um, but it's great to have you back. And one of the reasons it's great to have you back is because we get to hear about weird and obscure movies in recommendations. So what have you got for us first? So I wouldn't necessarily say that these two are particularly uh, weird, but what I would say is that they are sad. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so, so I've been uh, I've been doing myself some uh, some misery. The first one of these I've seen before, but not for a great many years. Jen was away directing recently, and Jen doesn't like super super sad films. So I suddenly had a couple of days to myself, and I by myself, I mean me and the, the dogs, to watch the, just the most fucking miserable films. <laughs> So obviously, the first uh, first film I popped on was Nil by Mouth. Whoa, so, that's interesting. Yeah, I I imported the Blu-ray. Yeah, it's an amazing Blu-ray. So yeah, carry on. Oh my um, god, isn't I'd it? I'd love isn't to hear just... your thoughts about this. Yeah, yeah. I was at a I was at a a, a launch for a, for a, my friend's video game recently, and I uh, so he, a friend of mine, Jorg Tetel, who's a uh, this amazing polymath of a man, d- director, producer, game dev, all this stuff. He he just launched a, a VR game that's a a remaster, a sort of a rebuild of the old Sega uh, game Cosmic Smash, which is mm-hmm. very good. Uh, I think it comes out in a few weeks on like PlayStation and stuff VR. Um, but they did a game launch, and all of the music was done uh, by uh, a chap who goes by the name of Danalog, who is the frontman of Soccer '96 and mm-hmm. the comet's coming and i got chatting he was at the launch and i got chatting to him and he like me has uh, an american partner and we were talking about preconceptions of britain when your american partner first comes uh, to england <laughs> and this conversation led down the path of talking about kitchen sink drama and all that kind of stuff uh, and off the back of that i was like fuck me i need to rewatch no by mouth because no no by mouth is basically the most miserable kitchen sink drama so I, I got to recommend him Saturday night, Sunday morning, which I love, which he had not seen. And he can now show his uh, partner who thinks that everyone in the UK is probably just Hugh Grant. And I went away deciding that I was going to watch No By Mouth when as the second gen left the house, which I did. I, God damn, I, like, I feel like Winston needs to go back to, to just being a, 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 a gross man in sad film. <laughs> Mm. Uh, we've not seen that much from him recently uh jen i didn't get to go sadly jen went to a a talk that oldman gave uh recently and someone asked him why doesn't he direct more stuff and he's like well because they won't let me direct stuff like nail by mouth like that's all i want to do 
but it's not commercial enough, so they won't let me do that. They'd let me do other stuff that I have no interest in. But I'm yeah. not, you know, and, and I get it. Like, oh my God, him, like uh, Winston and Burke and all of these like British character actors, a, a young Neil Maskell turns up in it. Yeah. Just like all these fantastic performances. And it's just so, it's it's so good. And that last, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Not that it's like, a roller coaster narrative, what you know, narratively, but the, the the where it goes at the end and the the structure that it like reveals in that last scene is so bleak, but it's done in the language of uplift, and that makes it so much more impactful. It's incredible. It uses like, the language yeah, of hope to yeah. stamp on your dreams. Exactly. Absolutely. And. Um, Obviously, Oldman worked with Mike Lee. He worked with Alan Clark. And you can really yeah. see that knowledge and experience being poured into into Neil by Mouth. It's the closest thing to a modern Alan Clark movie I think we have. Yeah. Um, I saw it for the first time. I actually saw it. I'm one of the few people who saw it on a cinema screen. I uh, went to an art college that had a cinema on the campus, like a little art cinema. It's the main reason I went there. Um, and I saw Neil by Mouth there and literally collapsed in the student hall corridor where there was a payphone. This was back in the days before mobiles. And uh, I was phoning my mum in a complete wreck mess state because it captured the atmosphere of my childhood, basically. My dad was like Ray Winston's character in that movie. And um, it was... <laughs> the the first time I think I'd ever had like trauma unleashed by a movie. Um, I think I was like 18 or something like that. And um, yeah, it completely fucking devastated me. So I haven't actually watched it since. I have interviewed Gary Oldman about it and I actually might throw in a clip uh, from that interview into this now. When I first watched it with an audience, I only I can only think of going back to the test audiences because we screened it as many as 15 times for different audiences. And I would go back and recut or tweak. Initially, when you're seeing it with an audience, you're sitting at the back, getting a feel of the room. You're getting a feel of how the movie is playing and where you might lose them or where you think that's a little long, that could be. So you're always sort of in there, sort of, it's like a, you're tuning it, like a, like a race car engine. The very first sort of premiere that we had, it was so well received that that was the that that was the shocker for me. Certainly here, anyway, in the UK. Certainly, you know, to have the success it had, that that was that was sort of most surprising. I always say to people now who want to maybe get it or watch it on DVD, I always say, well, you have to. You've got to be in the right mood, I think, otherwise it'll really sort of F up your evening. So, yeah, that's a little bit of Gary Oldman talking about nice. Neil by Mouth. But, yeah, as I say, I haven't watched it since that experience, but I did import the Blu-ray. It's a beautiful, beautiful disc, and I think I might settle down with my American wife um, to watch it at some point in the next uh, few weeks. So um, stay tuned for that. I love what you say about um, what Jen heard at the talk about Oldman saying that, you know, he wants to make more stuff like this. We need more stuff like this. I read uh, yeah. a, Reddit, a Reddit comment 
that I screen grabbed because it summed it up so succinctly. According to Gilgo Beach Slayer, movies used to be primarily geared towards adults with some geared towards children. Now movies are primarily geared towards children with some for adults. I think it has something to do with studios being run by finance guys trying to increase return on investment instead of old pervs who love movies. I saw takes that. A turn at the I end saw there. that. Same. <laughs> I saw that same post, and I also enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. excellent. Oh, that's... that's nice. See, across the ocean, we're enjoying the same random comments. Um, but yeah, that that's basically how it feels. And that's why this podcast is such a joy, because we get to watch and talk about movies that were made in a completely different era that wouldn't necessarily be made today. So uh, all of that is going to lead to my first recommendation, um, which is kind of along the same lines. Um, it's Torment. It's from Arrow's Claude Chabrol box set, which we also received recently. And nice. I couldn't wait to dig into it. And I watched Torment this week with one of my favourite cartoonists, Josh Simmons, who does insanely fucked up horror stuff. And our mutual friend Cameron, who has great taste in movies, and we just all loved it so, so much. I don't want to say too much about it, as I actually really would love to cover it on a future episode, uh, Torment Dan. This one feels like a cousin to Lars von Trier's stuff. It's a descent into madness and cruelty that's just so intense and fun, if you like messed up stuff, which I do. It's just so weird and extreme. And it's about a jealous husband and his new wife. And that's all I'll say about it uh, because I really do love it a lot. It's my first Claude Chabrol movie. And I think I may have found a new favourite director. But let's see how the rest of the films on the box set hold up. But yeah, stay tuned for that in a future episode. Dan, what's next from you? Uh, it's Paddy Constantine's Tyrannosaur. Jesus Christ, man. Which, what's wrong with you? <laughs> which, I, which, I, which I double build with Milbo Mouth. Oh my god. I'd never seen Tyrannosaur before. Right. It was a first yeah. time watch for me. Jen saw it at uh, a Fantastic Fest when it was doing the festival circuit uh, and never wanted to watch it again. And as a result, it was one of those ones that had always sort of slipped away. Like it was never quite high enough on my list that I would watch it when Jen was out. And it was certainly not something she was going to watch. Same reason I've never watched We Need to Talk About Kevin, which I will be watching in the next couple of weeks. Amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm that looking forward to quite it. Quite a film. Um, yeah. But Tyrannosaur, what a. I mean, you know, obviously Nail by Mouth was a, a debut, but Oldman, had, a directing debut, but Oldman had. had been on the set as you said of these incredible directors Considine was still mm. comparatively new in his career even as an actor you know it's not that long after Room for Romeo Brass Dead Man's Shoes and stuff that that he directed Tyrannosaur and he actually ended up uh, going like ah fuck okay I if I'm going to do this properly I need to, to pay more attention and he took time away from directing to go and study but actually I think the the language of Tyrannosaur is really solid and, and the performances are just fucking heartbreaking. It's so good. If anyone really wants their their soul to be kicked, <laughs> yeah, check this movie out. It's it's not in any way what I thought it was. I had in my mm -hmm. mind this conception of what the narrative was about, and it's not that. It, I like I don't know where it came from. I don't know where I'd got it from. But this like like grit in an oyster. This this idea had entered my brain as to what Tyrannosaur was about and I'd sort of fabricated this film in my head which it is not at all and uh, yeah but um, oh my fucking god there's a line from Coleman basically at the end of the penultimate scene that just fucking broke me it's so harsh 
it's it's incredible. Marzan's incredible. Like they're all incredible. It's it's yeah, it's an amazing film. Uh and I really recommend it to fans of the sadness. Yeah. <laughs> Not the film of sadness. State of so, being. <laughs> and speaking of that state of being, I've just realized that this is one hundred percent gonna be our bleakest recommendation section ever, without a shadow of a doubt, because my uh, next recommendation is irreversible the straight Ooh. cut <laughs> oh um yeah 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 shay and i went to see this one on the big screen in portland uh cinema called cinema 21 they did the straight cut on the friday and the normal cut on the saturday and our night on the friday it wasn't even close to being sold out even though it was a one night only thing because you know who wants to sit through an infinitely nastier version of Irreversible, which is already nasty enough. Yeah, everyone walked out looking like they'd just been let out of prison at the end, apart from me and Shay, who were kind of skipping along. We had a great time. Um, (laughs) It's absolutely more brutal in chronological order and obviously much, much less interesting structurally. Um, Yeah, one of the best decisions in cinema to reverse this script I'm really yeah. glad I'm, I I saw it though. There is some stuff in there that does feel better this way, like little bits and pieces. I was able to absorb the ending, um, which is obviously the beginning and the proper version. And some reveals in those final moments are, are more interesting, um, which is all I'll say about that. They just land better because you're not overwhelmed yeah. and trying to settle into the film. But the fact you're not overwhelmed and trying to settle into the film makes the ending feel more like like a student film almost the way it's shot um because in chronological order it's like oh everything's getting fucked up and dark and the camera's going all woozy and scary um whereas that's so revolutionary in the reverse order you know the proper version because you know film language tells you you've got to let the audience bed in a little bit and keep things kind of as simple as possible but that opening so brilliant and intense in the released version. So that definitely does suffer. But I, I'd still recommend watching it. There's interesting arcs that land a bit better in this version. But really brace yourself because, yeah, that horrendous, horrendous, hardcore, disturbing scene in the middle. Obviously, Nine and a half minute scene, yeah. Nine and a half minute scene. And when you watch that in the proper version, you're like, fuck, all I have to do is get through this and then we're going to be get taken out of the film by the hand type thing. But yeah, this time you're watching it and you're like, oh, I've got to get through this. And there's still all of this shit to go as well. So And then, um, and then someone else is going to get taken out of the film by the forearm. Yeah. Oh, God. So um, I do recommend watching it, but do brace yourself. Maybe save it for the end of your nil by mouth torment tyrannosaur irreversible marathon and then stick on threads <laughs> you know right well, start i think start with irreversible in the right order and end with irreversible <laughs> in the wrong order there you go perfect perfect all right well uh that's it for recommendations let's move on to extra I, features extra features before we, extra before we get to extra features and i know we have oh. some extra features so i won't keep it too long but we were talking about the amazing cinematography and the sort of the crazy camera work at the beginning of uh of irreversible when you watch it in the right order mm-hmm. and i had wanted to touch on and i completely forgot to mention that astonishing uh steadicam through the office at the beginning of the vagrant 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, <laughs> it all comes back. Really yeah. There's does, some, there's some yeah. technically very adept stuff. Some very impressive stuff. And and off the back of that, I almost recommended Street Trash. But I. But yeah. There's some. There's some very nice cinematography in the Vagrant. I think Wallace is. Wallace is de- definitely one of those people who spent enough time on set and watched great yeah. directors at work, and has taken those little things and and pushed them into his own projects. Yeah, absolutely. And it is kind of hard to criticise the vagrant for punching down and then recommend street trash. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not the most sensitive portrayal of that lifestyle. Um, amazing. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. All right, well, glad you, you added that in, but let's move on to extra, extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. He's back. He's back. So one extra feature from me and one extra feature from Dan. I'm going to start because mine's very brief, but hopefully interesting. I messaged Heather Buckley last night to get some Michael Ironside memories. And here's what Heather had to say. This isn't a recording. It was just like a a Facebook chat style thing. But um, yeah, Heather said, I always feel very connected when I reach out to Ironside after I did his two plus hour career retrospective at Fantasia. I reached out to Walter Hill to write a beautiful note about his performance in Extreme Prejudice when I did my Fantasia thing. He has very good villain energy. He's incredibly dynamic to talk to and strong and bold and everything you wish Michael Ironside was, he is. He's very supportive and he has great strength of character. So yeah, lovely thoughts from Heather about Michael Ironside there. Now, first extra feature for a long time, but we're going to have our second extra feature for a long time, and it's going to be a little bit more in-depth than that. Dan, why don't you set this one up? Uh, Those of you who were lucky enough to pick up the Vagrant from the States will know that it comes with a uh, a lovely uh, booklet, uh, which contains a... um, uh, an essay by James Piercy, a long-term friend of us as individuals, but also of the podcast. And James uh, was sort of writing about the experience of seeing the Vagrant in the video store and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and I actually spoke to James uh, about that and also about Harrow's Enter the Video Store box set and the idea that the the yeah the video store was this this place of, of sort of worship for us young genre film fans back in the day so here's that right so i'm joined now uh by friend of humans and friend of podcasts james piercy uh hello james thanks for joining us why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do thanks for having me dan uh i'm a well, well previously was a film producer that's how i met yourself in original form yeah. And then more recently have gotten involved in film restoration, thanks to my boss, James White, and to Arrow Films. Uh, and for the past year and a half, almost spot on, actually, um, I have been restoring all manner of films from sort of small, weird video release things from the 80s up to what was just announced, the gigantic Bruce Lee titles, which has been a bit of a weird roller coaster. So, yeah, basically... I help supervise the restoration process and work with the various sort of post houses and studios that do the work to make the restorations look as good as they do. Amazing. And so what's sound, the... And, sorry, and sound as good as they do. I have to make a point <laughs> of that. It's a terrible thing not to say that. And our sound, the people that we work with for the sound are absolutely incredible. So I have to mention that as well. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've been recently on some of the 4K stuff. I've been very impressed by the sound quality uh, and distro. And we, we've actually, before you were at Arrow, we would talk about the, the sound on releases and stuff and, and dissect it. And versions of things. Um, how do you, like, when you get attached to a project, uh, how do you, like, how do you get involved? What What is given to you and at what stage? It sort of, I mean, it always varies title to title because you have some lovely, you know, when we will work with some studios and particularly with studios who will have already done their own restoration work. So in those situations, we'll be looking at whatever they've, how, however they've done the work and looking at to see whether it's to the standard that we would want to release it at and then talk about whether we needed to do anything else or whether actually their masters are really good. Um, and that varies studio to studio. If we're doing something from scratch, um it will be working from the original elements whatever that might be because in some cases i mean it's about you will know this probably it's about whatever sort of still exists yeah um the ultimate is to work from the original negatives which allows you a lot of flexibility in terms of the restoration work you can do the grade work you can do and in terms of the audio as well um depending on what what still exists it gives you a lot of flexibility to make sure your audio can be as clean and as and as sharp as possible. Um, and then, yeah, if we're working from the negs or, you know, an interpositive can be pretty good depending on whether you're going to 2K or 4K because it all varies depending on where it's going. Um, you can, I mean, to be honest, it goes from there to our teams who do the restoration. Normally we'll try and keep it within within one sort of organization who will do the restoration work and then also the grading at the same time. Um, and the goal is to kind of pull it all together and then deliver it in one big file to um, whoever's doing our authoring for that specific for that specific <laughs> title. Audio-wise, we work mostly... Uh, at the moment, we're doing a lot of work with Bad Princess Productions, and they're sort of freelance. They do their own thing. So they tend to do a lot of our work and do really amazing. I mean, I, I don't honestly know how they how they do what they do. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, the the way they work on that stuff is incredible and then as well with regards to picture supervising that work and making sure that we're being as true to the original um versions of these films because that's kind of the trickiest bit um is and and it's the thing where it's it's i would say it's quite it's quite easy to slip up on is making sure that whatever you're using to reference to check all the work against is super as is as accurate as you're going to get it because the biggest issue that you we find with any kind of restoration work is you're making sure it looks as it should do um it's great that we have all these new tools with hdr and all this other stuff but ultimately making sure that the colors are correct uh, is the colors and the, the the picture is correct and the audio is correct is really important <laughs> so that's all at the beginning weirdly is making sure that all of our references are in order so that once we start scanning getting everything together and conforming everything we know we're working on the right the right elements as it were so, wow, so no no that's, that's absolutely fantastic answer uh in in all of that like how how long would you normally ignoring outliers how long would you expect to work on something when you do have to do a ground up um it's, like starting from the I beginning mean, i mean it can it really can be a little of anything um some of them are super quick 
and it's lovely when it happens. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, a, a good example, actually, um, which I think we're going to talk about is the Vagrant. Yeah. The Vagrant was actually really, you know, was pretty quick. Once we got the scans, which didn't take too long to get done, and then it was scanned at 4K, we did a 2K remaster. Um, it, it went through in, I, I think, in, in, in solid man hours, probably about a month's worth of work overall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously not working, you know, 10 hour days every day of the week, but um, it's, you know, it took with the restoration and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge amount of restoration because again, depending on the title and then the, the associated budgets and schedules, you know, we, it won't always be like, if we're going for 4k, the restoration will be extremely hardcore and I will really annoy the companies that we work with <laughs> by sending them long lists of little dirt and, you know, scratches and spots and things that need to be cleaned. Um, whereas with something like the Vagrant, there's not quite so much budget to throw at something like the Vagrant. Cause while it is popular, it's, it's not going to be as massive as say the, you know, any of the Bruce Lee films as an example. Mm. Um, not that I don't think that the Vagrant is as important as Bruce Lee, but that's a different conversation. So, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, so it, it sort of varies a little bit title to title and the Vagrant was pretty quick. And then. You know, by comparison, some of the 4K titles will take months and months, you know, three, four. It can, it can, it can take a lot of time, especially depending on where the elements are. Because, for instance, if we're working on something that is, uh, what's a good example? Tenebrae. Um, yeah. Tenebrae, we did the scanning of the elements in Italy. The restoration was done in Italy and then the grade was done in the UK and the audio work was done in the UK. And so just by nature of it having to travel and then the communication processes that can end up extending a, a project. Um, yeah. So it sort of varies a little bit depending on where everything is. Um, but like, you know, we want to get them done quickly, but you want to get them done right. And, you know, we, we have, um, no matter what stage we're at, if we find issues, we'll often try and come back and, 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 deal with those issues and fix them as best we can so you know it can cause a bit of trouble now and again uh and because of the nature of film and because of the nature of how some film is treated uh and not really looked after over time it can it can get you know a bit hair raising but um the goal is as i said earlier is as long as we have the right kind of the right references to fall back on we know we can do our best to try and make it as as kind of accurate as possible. Um, House that screamed is another good example of that. Um, that was an incredibly complex uh, restoration job. Um, oh really? With lots of that's had a, that's had a Blu-ray before, hasn't it? In the states, not it that has. long ago. Um, now, I, now, don't quote me on it, but I believe previously the for the extended version, the in between segments or in between sequences were originally in were previously in SD. We were able that to find right, yeah. a lot of original elements to make it all HD again. So we were able wow. to include the US edit and then the complete, I want to say Spanish edit. I've just um, just received my copy, but it's not unwrapped yeah. yet. I'm very much looking forward um, to that. Uh, and that was, it's, you know, again, it's tricky. It was a, it was a lot of work for our, that was um, 
of degrading restoration was done by restore studios and it was really really hard on them particularly um because we had a lot of different elements and trying to grade it and make it look you know even is tricky and i mean they did remarkable work uh with a really tough project and then you know to get into the whole authoring stuff it got really complicated doing the branching and yeah it was that one took a long time a lot longer than a normal because of, of the two edits yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so splicing it all on the, on the disc yeah and lots of work on the audio for that as well so with a film like uh the residentia and the vagrant and like films that maybe uh weren't the biggest budget when they were first made how do you as restorers deal with technical issues that are present because of the way the film was made rather than because of the way the the, the assets have aged so it's let's a, say color, color and uh like uh color continuity between shots let's say that the 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 first the first release had some grade abnormalities between different between different shots in a sequence and they're it's, a bit jarring it's a tricky question and it's a it's funny it's it's like the most ongoing debate uh amongst anyone that deals in restoration is uh, how much restoration do you do um <laughs> and, and and what was intended and what wasn't intended to some degree it will depend on the element that we're using to do the work from so for instance if it's mm -hmm. coming from uh an original neg we sort of follow that to some degree um, because you never know what's been cut in at a later date. I mean, to be honest, you're never sure quite what's been cut into some of the original negative stuff. I mean, we've most recently we've worked with stuff where you'll look at like a 4K scan and a 4K restoration or something in a whole scene, and it will look amazing. And then suddenly one shot in the scene will look a bit soft. And it's because mm. for some reason they've duped in, uh, uh, they've reprinted something and put it in there for some reason. We'll never know why. This was a film made maybe in the sort of 70s. So no one's alive to tell us, oh, yeah, well, we had a problem with that and we had to zoom it slightly. And that's why we reprinted it and chucked it in there. We'll never know. Um, so in those sorts of situations, we'll try and match it. Obviously, we can't sharpen it and we're not going to start adding digital effects um, because that's not, not helpful and it doesn't look great. I mean, sharpening you know when you get into the realm of sharpening and digital noise reduction and all that kind of stuff it's very obvious and we do have a fan base that notices that stuff very quickly uh yeah. so if, if we were to start employing that stuff we'd be in trouble so ultimately we'll try and balance it but there is a, a limit on you know uh a great example is camera movements uh mm. where a camera is you know maybe on a dolly but it's not on tracks. It's just on pneumatic wheels and you can see it bouncing over the, <laughs> over the floor and you can see the camera wobbling as it goes. And we've seen in pre I've seen personally in previous releases of certain films where they've smoothed those shots out. We won't touch any of that stuff. That's all inherent in the camera. Yeah. So that all gets left alone. Um, there was a, a, we don't do much animation, but a, a friend, who does work with animation restoration work was getting into a really interesting situation where he was talking about having to restore it, but leave. So any film dirt, 
So, mm. you know, anything that would have been on the film would be cleaned, but any cell dirt would be left alone. Wow. <laughs> so, and and we have a, you know, that it's tricky for us in terms of things like optical shots because, you know, optical shots are by their nature a bit dirtier, a bit, a bit, a bit more rough. Yeah, they're, Just they're a couple of generations through. down in that, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, do you start cleaning all of that? Do you clean all the bits of black dirt or were they there? in sort of we that's one of those sort of sort of decisions we make on a case by case basis. But we'll often if it's something notable and if it's something that also has been always a part of the film since since its early releases, you don't generally take that stuff out. You sort of keep it as clean as possible because ultimately as as clean as it was, as it were. So so you sort of leave it leave it because ultimately it's a part of the film um but as i said it's also an, an, an unending debate i went on a summer school for restoration last year and had and this was pretty much every, every any any part that we were going through this was the constant discussion was well what do we do what do we do here like <laughs> do we clean this thing do we change that grade what do we do with the sound do we do and you know you sort of have to make a decision literally as i say on a case-by-case basis it's all about whether it's going to be beneficial, whether it's going to be something that will end up looking weird and be detrimental to the film in the long run. Yeah, a knife edge. Uh, a, a slight change of tack. Uh, how does watching these films millions of times change your relationship with them? It's interesting. I've been doing QC and QA for years. So uh, prior to this, I was uh, uh, QC for DCP releases of, of major uh, major theatrical releases, uh, major theatrical films, sorry. And um, so, I, you know, I would watch the Fast and the Furious films, I don't know, like 50, 60 times over a couple of weeks or, uh, you know, any of these big titles. And I, I got very used to just kind of, um, it just washes over you after a while. In the end, it's a technical exercise and not really, you're not engaged with it. It's been a bit of a weird switch coming to Arrow, where we're working on films that I genuinely care about. Um, <laughs> Unlike the and, Fast and the Furious movies. Look, I love. No, don't get me wrong. I love a big silly, um, a big silly yeah. blockbuster. But I, you know, I really like. I really cared about the Vagrant. I still really care about the Vagrant. And watching it probably about eight times didn't didn't dissuade me from that. I think it's all about that connection and some films will absolutely last it others sort of won't i was getting quite worn down by the bruce lee stuff because it was a lot of work and it was a lot of very intricate work and then weirdly uh when it got announced last week and our trailer went up for it i watched it and it was like what it was like i hadn't, hadn't watched any of the footage for a couple of weeks and it was like it was brand new <laughs> it was like Oh, that's interesting. sort of like a yeah. It's, it is still they are still great, and I hadn't really lost any of my love for them. But it just, I think your relationship just fatigued I, for a little while. Yeah, I, you know, there are some films which I'm that we work on that I'll probably never rewatch, and that's fine. We don't all love all the same films. Um, yeah, but I don't think I don't think we've worked on anything that I really. I'm like, well, I'm never watching that rubbish again. Thankfully, I think almost <laughs> everything I've worked on. Uh, and there's been lots of new discoveries for me. You know, there's you know been directors and films which I've never seen before. And so getting that stuff in is great. Like being able to work on things like that. 
be able to have that that view is wonderful. Amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up, but I'm gonna ask you uh, to tell me something that you discovered that is a new love, and something that has not been dug out, like uh, your lovely essay about hunting through things and finding the vagrant the first time, uh, the 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 essay you wrote in the booklet. Um, is there something that you desperately want to to cross your desk? I mean. As as you, as we discussed earlier on, uh, off off the thing, there's lots of stuff I think we're sort of working on that I'm very excited about that we're working on. So in that regard, weirdly, I'm working on a bunch of titles that I never thought I would ever have the chance to be involved in. Uh, so that you know, weirdly, a couple of the things I would have said, you know, absolutely, I'm already doing. Weirdly, um, <laughs> the like there are obvious kind of pie in the sky titles like I would love to do. The Better Tomorrows. I would love to work on Peter Jackson's early films. They're never yeah. probably going to happen for various different reasons, um, which is a, sh a real shame. But at the same time, this is life. I'm doing some pretty cool stuff regardless. Uh, but I would love to see something like, if I mean, a movie I've always wanted to work on, a movie I've always wanted to see given more love is a film called Rosewood. I don't know. Um, yeah, so Rosewood is how do I? It's I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's a bit of an action film. It's not quite that simple. Um, it was uh, an Africa. It's it's a it's a period set film with Ving Rhames, Don Cheadle, John Voight, um, John Singleton directed it. It's it's just a really remarkable. So I don't want to say action, it's a drama, but it's just got these incredible moments of of sort of violence that are really just, it, it wasn't what I expected. And I would highly suggest anyone to look up Rosewood. It's it's out there on streaming services in not great quality, sadly. And to my knowledge, the only release of it properly at this point has been a Flipper DVD. Oh, those of you that remember DVD 11? No, 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 yeah, right. but it's just a it's just a double sided five basically. A oh and, right, okay, yeah, yeah. So back in the day, and it has like yeah. four, like some like forty chapters. It's it's absolute madness as a disc. Amazing. Um, but it would be it would be a real joy to work on on Rosewood. I think it's a, an unappreciated film, and I think it's a great film by John Singleton, who's you know made some fa fantastic films. That's good stuff. Well, thank you so much for taking time to to join us for this. Um, it's always fascinating to sort of get to see behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, and hopefully we'll get you back at some point in the future. Thank you. Always happy to chat about nonsense and filmmaking <laughs> anytime. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Excellent. Lovely. Um, always good to hear from James. And thanks for doing that, Dan. That's a really lovely extra feature. Um, that's it for this week. I've managed to get through a whole episode without doing any form of self-promotion, which is pretty impressive. Um, but in that spirit, <laughs> uh, how can you be followed on social media, Dan? Uh, I'm at 13fingerfx uh, on Twitter and Instagram. In uh, a couple of weeks, I'll either be strangely silent or absolutely fucking insufferable <laughs> because I'm going to an award ceremony. Amazing. What is the award ceremony? Uh, it's the uh, Irish Academy, uh, the IFTAs. 
so it's the Irish Oscars, and I am nominated for the special makeup effects for Banshees of Inisherin. Excellent. Uh, my God, that would be incredible if you get that. Um, please, precious Arrowheads, everyone listening to this, keep your fingers crossed for Dan so you can share in his victory when he wins. Love it. If you As don't for me, cross you... your fingers, they have to be cut off. Hey, perfect, perfect. And as for me, you can follow me at Sam Ashurst 23 on Instagram. I've started doing little six panel comic books on Instagram. Um, the first one I put up is about Quentin Tarantino retiring. So I'm going to be I doing enjoyed those that week- today. <laughs> oh, nice. Excellent. Thank you. And yeah, I'll be doing those weekly from this point on just for free, just for fun. Um, and then I'll probably print them out and give them away as well. Why not? Um, so yeah, that's it from me social media wise. That's it from the podcast podcast wise. It's great to have you back, Dan. And we will see you next time for Flatliners. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and what's that, Dan? <laughs> we promise to be more professional. <laughs> and we promise yes. to be more professional next time. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>